My name is Wendy again, and uh, I wanted to give you a little bit of an explanation of why we're doing this thing tonight, why we're trying to combine so many things into one. Um, yeah, so why are we combining all of the Holy Week events into one service tonight? Um, if you've been around the open table a while, you know that we a lot of times will ask the question, how can we, how can we honor Christian tradition in ways that um, are honoring to the tradition, but also loving to our context and the people in it, how is it loving to those on the margins? We ask that question a lot. And sometimes that means doing things a little bit differently. So in, in this case, um, there have been a few years where we've tried doing like Palm Sunday service, Monday Thursday, like service project, Good Friday, walk in the city, another Easter service. But we realized that maybe that's not something that works for us because not everybody can take off work and come to church <laughs> four times a week. Not everybody can just put their life on hold and come do that. So we said, why keep exhausting ourselves with busyness? <laughs> That's not helpful. Um, let's find a more meaningful way to do things. So um, Holy Week, what we started realizing uh, with Palm Sunday at the beginning and Easter at the end is all part of one large narrative of Jesus' life, all part of his story. We can still engage with and honor that story even if um, we're only doing it on one day. So our intention today is to honor that narrative of speaking truth to power that Jesus did, bringing that power to the marginalized, and embodying a life and death commitment to love. So that's our hope tonight, and it's going to be interactive, and we invite you to join in this exploration of Jesus' story with us. In the early first century of Jerusalem, there are two gates. There's an east gate and a west gate. Entering into the east gate, a Roman ruler known as Pontius Pilate is coming through to visit. This parade that he is bringing is a show of military power. People there are amongst the elites of Jerusalem, the high end, those who are important, those people of the elite of Jerusalem, those who are in power and celebrate his coming celebrates those who benefit from the power of Rome. They wave flowers and the best silk. But for our story, the Christian story, it does not begin there. Instead, it begins at the West Gate, where a man named Jesus of Nazareth comes through and leads a parade literally on an ass. Making fun of this war steed that Pontius Pilate is carrying, he rides a colt. People, instead of waving flowers and silks, wave palms. The closest things that they've got to wave and celebrate. Rather than give, giving out silks and placing them at his feet, they place their own cloaks. They scream out, instead of praise Caesar, Praise Rome, praise the power, they yell out, Hosanna. They tell the other side of that story. When Jesus of Nazareth comes through, he's making a mockery of Pontius Pilate. It's political theater. When he's riding an ass instead of a steed, when he's looking at the world, he's giving a counter-narrative to, they say, Rome is power, Rome is God, Rome is empire but we say something a little different. 
in your sheets. This is the modern day of what we say. Some say they are too loud as they gather at their barbecue. Call the police on black folk. We say, pull up a grill. Some say their loves harms the sanctity of our relationships. Don't make their wedding cakes. We say, grab a plate and celebrate. Some say, show off our power with a military parade. Those with the most bombs win. We say, we will study war no more. Some say the earth is ours to consume. Climate change is a lie. We say we are interconnected. Some say they don't deserve health care or food stamps. Take care of you and yours. We say we belong to each other. Some say they are bad, dangerous, and marching towards our border. Construct a bigger wall. We say build a longer table. Some say you are not enough. You must become worthy. We say you are welcome and loved as you are. Maundy Thursday, a phrase that means uh, mandate from Latin, refers to Jesus' mandate to love. Why do we say at the open table, this is our communion? What's that about? Not just a meal even, but our whole gathering. Well, we know different things about meals. Meals help us mark time as important, ritualized. It's not just a table full of food. It can be a table full of joy and hope and belonging. It rises from a celebration of community. The format of our worship we call dinner church. It uh, might seem not like not church, <laughs> but um, actually it's pretty ancient, um, similar to the way the early church might have gathered the Last Supper was not just a cracker and juice kind of uh, situation, <laughs> uh, which is kind of what it has become in some, some ways today. Um, it was actually a full meal. So much like us with our plates and our cups, they too would have gathered with their eating implements for conversation and to share that love that Jesus was calling them to. There are so many stories of Jesus eating together with people, um, including those he wasn't supposed to eat with, quote unquote. He often ate with those on the margins and invited them into power and relationship in ways that they were not invited to do elsewhere. Some people today still think that the table should be off limits to people for various reasons, but that wasn't Jesus' way. So this is why the metaphor of the table has become so very important to our community. It's a place to get to know and build relationships with our neighbors, to give voice to and empower those who have been marginalized, to organize against injustice, and to practice abundance by sharing food together. Uh, the Cherith Brook Catholic Worker House community, which we are friends with and um, work together from time to time, um, shared this quote. Dorothy Day, co-founder of the Catholic Worker Movement, noted that we know God by the breaking of bread. And we know each other by the breaking of bread. And we are not alone anymore. Which is to say we know mercy, we know compassion, we know peace by the breaking of bread 
and know each other by the breaking of bread, and we are not alone anymore. Maundy Thursday is the night we remember Jesus' invitation to love. So we bring ourselves and our gifts to the table and offer them to each other and to God. This is our communion. For your action, I invite you to either bring up a pitcher of water or a little piece of food and um, bring it to the table in the front. So now to Good Friday. This is the day that the church remembers Jesus' death on a cross. But we also recognize that this death on a cross was actually an execution. It was an execution by the state because Jesus had challenged the status quo. Because Jesus had organized a movement that challenged the structures of his day. He exposed the injustice of the system. He organized people who were ready for a just and peaceful society, a society that worked for all, and the powers that be responded by executing him in the same manner that was reserved for revolutionaries. This style of execution was meant to send a message to all people thinking that they themselves could change the social, economic, and political systems. This execution said to the people, you want to follow Jesus? This is where you'll end up. It was a highly effective, well, I guess in this case, ineffective intimidation tactic. And one of the ways that we as the church remember uh, this day is by walking the path that Jesus took to the cross. And that practice is called the Stations of the Cross. This practice of walking and reflecting has been a deeply moving experience for many people. In the open table, we have done this for the past few years. But we've done it with a twist. We remember Jesus' death by reflecting on the ways that Jesus is being crucified today in Kansas City by our unjust systems. We would walk downtown at stop at various locations and reflect on the ways that different folks were being oppressed. The soldier, the immigrant, the unemployed, the incarcerated, the victims of our military campaigns and drone attacks, the asylum seekers, the indigenous person, the torture victim, the people of Latin America, the detainee, the victims of systemic racism, the veteran who falls victim to homelessness or suicide, the undocumented. These are all people who suffer today, who are crucified today, just as Jesus was 2,000 years ago. 
I would like to invite you each at your table to blow out the candle as we enter into reflection on Good Friday. So what I invite you to do now is to close your eyes. I'm going to take us through a guided meditation for our Good Friday practice. As you close your eyes, I I invite you to get into a posture that makes you feel grounded. Maybe uh, put both feet on the ground firmly. Feel the earth beneath your feet. Take some deep breaths in and out. And in and out. Let your eyelids relax. Let your shoulders relax. Let the thoughts that may be racing through your mind settle. So allow yourself to be still. I invite you now to reflect on one injustice that you see happening today. Maybe it's racism, sexuality or gender issues, gentrification, militarism, economic exploitation. ecological devastation. Or maybe it's another injustice. Just pick one and begin to feel the weight. Think of how that injustice is playing out today in Kansas City. Who does this injustice affect? What do they look like? Where do they live? How has this injustice impacted them? As you continue to feel the weight of this injustice, I ask you now, how does this injustice make you feel? What emotions does it bring up within you?
How has this injustice impacted you? How have you participated in it? Have you been the victim of this injustice yourself? Have you benefited from it? Have you been someone who has stood by while the injustice continues to roll on? These questions might invoke feelings of helplessness or guilt within you. We may be wondering what we can do in the face of such large systemic injustices. We might feel lost, not knowing how to proceed. This is what Holy Saturday is. It's an in-between time. Death has happened, but resurrection has yet to come. The powers that be have won the battle, and we are left sitting, wondering what to do with our dashed hopes and dreams. I invite you to continue to reflect, keeping your eyes closed, remembering to breathe deep as we continue to reflect in silence. Let us breathe into the tension that is Holy Saturday. Easter Sunday, the kingdom of God is within you. Join me for a reading of John 20, verses 11 through 18. This version comes from the Inclusive People's Bible. Meanwhile, Mary stood weeping beside the tomb. Even as she wept, she stopped to peer inside. And there she saw two angels in dazzling robes. One was seated at the head and the other at the foot of the place where Jesus' body had lain. They asked her, why are you weeping? She answered them, because they have taken away my rabbi, and I don't know where they have put the body. No sooner had she said this than she turned around and caught sight of Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. He asked her, why are you weeping? For whom are you looking for? She supposed it was a gardener, so she said, please, if you're the one who carried Jesus away, tell me where you laid the body and I will take it away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned to him and said, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus then said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to Abba God. Rather, go to your siblings and tell them, I'm ascending to my Abba and to your Abba, my God and your God. 
Mary of Magdala went to the disciples. I have seen the teacher, she announced. Then she reported what the Savior had said to her. We'll be passing around some lighters. If one of you from your table could please relight your candle as we continue on with Easter Sunday, that'd be great. Two weeks before Archbishop Oscar Romero was assassinated on March 24th, 1980, he was being interviewed by a Guatemalan reporter who asked him about the numerous death threats he was receiving. This was due to him speaking truth to injustices and powers that be of the civil war that was happening at the time in El Salvador. With strength and boldness, Romero responded, if they kill me, I shall arise in the Salvadorian people. If the threats come to be fulfilled from this moment, I offer my blood to God for the redemption and resurrection of El Salvador. Let my blood be a seed of freedom and the sign that hope will soon be a reality. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with who Archbishop Oscar Romero is, um, he is a prophet, a martyr. He is um, highly esteemed in Latin America. He was the Archbishop of um, El Salvador, and they were going through a civil war at the time of um, his leadership. He spoke up about poverty and social injustice, the assassinations and torturings that were happening at that time. And of course, the powers that be did not like that. So he was, um, he was attacked, and he was given many death threats. Um, he dedicated his life to living alongside um, and helping and living with a lot of the peasant farmers, um, the poor communities of, uh, throughout Latin America, would spend his time traveling throughout the country, going into communities, hearing people's stories, hearing people's cry for help. Um, he would go and find missing bodies of family members who had lost uh, their loved ones due to this terrible civil war. Today, he is seen as a hero by supporters of liberation theology. He's held to high esteem in peasant communities and throughout Latin America. For he dedicated his work to deeply listening to the stories of people, their needs, their cries. Those on the margins he sat with and responded to their needs. His story is a parallel to the Easter message. He knew that his work before he had died he knew that his work was going to, meet, going to need to be continued beyond his death, his lifetime. And like a lot of the martyrs that we study or that we revere or read about um, or look up to, a lot of them also knew that this work was beyond their lifetime, that their life, what they spoke, the ways that they spoke against injustices was going to be um, inspiring and helping people um, continue on with hope and speak to the injustices that were existing at the time. But their death only meant that this was going to be continued work. So in a sense, their life represented the crucifixion and the resurrection of what we then embody in moving forward with the work that we do here on Earth. In one of the articles that I was reading this week as I, as I was uh, reading up on Oscar Romero, um, the article is called Oscar Romero and the Legacy of Hope, if any of you are interested in looking at that later. I found this quote that I thought was really interesting. It says, through death, Romero was given new life. Through death, Romero has given new life to the people of El Salvador. It is a story of crucifixion and resurrection. 
that the church now recognizes Romero as a blessed has confirmed the faith of the Salvadorian people and further empowered them in their ongoing struggle of dignity, justice, and liberation. Isn't this what this means for the kingdom of God to live within us? Understanding the deep responsibility that has been imparted to us to actively participate in the reaping and sowing of hope and justice. We may feel powerless when we look at what's wrong and unjust in the world, but Holy Week is actually a story about how we can have hope. And Oscar Romero's story is a beautiful representation of the liturgical holidays we celebrate during Holy Week. You have Palm Sunday, which is a way of speaking truth to power, the irony of powers that be. We have Maundy Thursday, which brings power to the marginalized, bringing them around the table. We visit with one another and we practice deep listening. We have Good Friday, where we sit with the struggle. Author and theologian James Cone talks about how the cross is where you will find yourself in the work of liberation, because powers don't like it when we challenge them. We have Holy Saturday. It's acknowledging the chaos that has happened. We regroup, and we figure out what to do next. And then we have Easter, where we collectively celebrate in the victory that continues to live through hope, love, and the fight for liberation. So in your bulletins, we have some questions. And in groups of three or four, we want to make sure that we maintain a safe, sacred space with one another to dive into these questions. I would like to invite you, give you a few minutes, to ponder on these questions. There are a lot. Don't feel like this is not, you don't have to get through all of them. Just choose one or two that really speak to you. Um, but I'll read through them and just kind, of, just kind of take a moment to think on what lands for you and then turn to someone next to you and begin sharing. Where are you finding and sharing hope right now? What does listening and responding look like for you? How do you, in your daily life, carry forth hope in light of brutal realities? In what ways are you engaged in transforming the places of death in your own life into bright hopes? What legacy are you building and caring for our common home? Or whose legacy are you following in the footsteps of? Like the people of El Salvador, how do we look forward with hope while carrying the tension of acknowledging the wounds and injustices we still see today as history repeats itself? Why is it that hope clings in places of deep despair? How do we stay awake to its small glimpses amidst the struggle? Share a story of hope from your life or someone else's life, from history or someone you may know, if you have their permission. In what ways do our stories continue to live and inspire you today? So I'll give you a few minutes to talk at your tables.
So I know, I know these are, these are a lot of questions to think through. Um, I invite you throughout the week as, as we're leading up to Easter, whatever your practice may look like with family or, or personal spiritual practices, um, I just invite you to review these questions. Um, and whether you like to journal or meditate on them, I just think they are great questions to begin to reframe um, the way that we participate in hope in our day-to-day, -day, as well as maybe the way that the Easter story has been told to us previously, we can begin to reclaim aspects of the Easter story that speak power into the now, um, into your story, into the stories of those around you and your community. So I, I want to hold space for everyone to um, keep what they shared at their tables, but I do invite everyone as we go into our closing song. We have um, a big sheet of paper up here with markers, and if you feel led during our closing song, if you would like to write a word or draw a symbol of what's bringing you hope right now, uh, whether that's personally in your family, in your community life, whatever that may look like, um, feel free to come up during the song. Um, and in closing, I wanted to share, these are words of, of um, one of the many songs that was actually popularized after Oscar Romero was assassinated in the Christian-based communities that existed throughout Latin America. And I found this phrase to be really powerful and speak to um, what we celebrate on Easter. So join me in the closing. They can kill the prophet, but not the voice of justice. Amen.